Welcome, everyone, to the Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, who dat? It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Took you long enough. The Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season one finale, episode 110, Colony Collapse, is brought to you by Auntie's Action Figures. Half of your collection has to go in the garbage. Pete, indeed, here we are at the season one finale. Just want to reassure everyone that we, of course, will be back next week to talk a uh, a season wrap. You know, kind of one more episode to to take a look back at the entire season. Then we have other goodies ready to go, whether it's the secret thing, whether it's uh, getting ready for Iron Fist in September and uh, and other treats along the way. Absolutely. We've been having a blast, whether it's Cloak and Dagger, Luke Cage, got some Iron Fist in there, some Star Trek Discovery, Secret Project coming real soon. Um, excited to bring it all to you. Well, with that, Pete, take us to the recap of the episode. Auntie explains the history of the great famine that struck the Choctaw people, a little girl with a mark on her silently and selflessly sacrifices herself in the river to end the famine. Tandy tries to talk down the deadly water delivery lady, distracting her so her mother can stab her. Tandy cuts the assassin, but she slinks away. Tandy sends her mother away to Mr. Muniz to tell him the government is after her. Tandy tries to get a hold of Mina, but only gets her voicemail. Why must Tandy go help people? Why not? Tyrone's father tells him to run away as far as he can and never look back. He gives him Billy's cloak. Some not so subtle racist cops show up looking for a red hawk who's gone off the reservation before Tyrone teleports away. At Mina's, Tandy is attacked by and takes out a terror. She rescues Mina and explains what happened on the rig eight years ago. Mina tells her about the nine other valves scattered around the city of her design. And the pressure is mounting. They need to shut it off at Roxon's central hub. As Mardi Gras is in full bead swing, Tyrone eludes cops before O'Reilly shows up to help him, but the cops catch them both in broad daylight. Auntie explains the duel between the Wilson brothers in a storm that Leland sacrificed himself to end. It's a wonder her mantle hasn't collapsed with all the weight of the world on it four times over, maybe five now, as Evita points out. She's found Tyrone's divine partner but she ain't particularly divine. The threat is coming, and that's why they have to remember their history. Tyrone and O'Reilly are brought into the police station, but not booked. As police issue a warning about an aggressive celebration that has led to violence in the Garden District, Mina fears she's broken the world. Tandy tells her they're going to fix it. 
As Tyrone and O'Reilly await Connors in the back of the police station, Tyrone is unable to teleport without his cloak or the threat of gunfire, but makes an impassioned speech to cop Lafayette and changes his mind, but they're interrupted before he can let them go. At Roxon, Scarborough destroys evidence, and Mina meet him in the elevator before he can leave. He seeks the power beneath the city so he can keep up with the Starks and the Rands of the connected universe. The valves are ready to blow, like the one Mina put near a school and a police station. She punches him, but Tandy gets her back on track with talk of the core on the rig. Scarborough tells her the core is in Roxon Annex Building 616 by the waterfront. Tandy takes Scarborough to his greatest hope of being God and gets him to open the door. Connors arrives with the plan to have Tyrone kill O'Reilly, then kill him and mourn her as a hero. As they're marched out the station, the terrors attack. Auntie explains the end of the War of 1812 when a private fell short of getting word of the ceasefire to General Jackson. A young female refugee completed his mission. She tells Evita, what's always been the way, one must live and one must die. Tandy and Mina are cornered by the water delivery lady before the terrors take her down. They take refuge, but Mina gets touched. As all hell breaks loose at the police station, Lafayette tells Tyrone his cloak is in weapons because, yeah. He holds the terrors off for Tyrone and O'Reilly. Tyrone helps Lafayette clear the station, cutting his arm in the process. He teleports in time to taser Mina and save Tandy. Auntie details the last divine pairing of Dr. Jack Rogers and famed jazz clarinetist Bobo Smith, ending the Spanish influenza threat in the fall of 1918 when two dozen other patients walked out of St. Teresa's Church healthy. Tyrone's cloak in tatters, he feels he'll never control his powers again. With Mina gone, Tandy is unsure they can stop the terror. But if Avita arrives at the abandoned church to tell them they'll solve it together, but one of them will die. She tells them all about the divine pairing and shows them the voodoo dolls. Tyrone believes and Tandy doubts. Evita wishes she could help more, which Tandy knows from seeing her hopes. Tyrone wallows in self-pity, but Tandy talks the baller lady killer through and then gives him Billy's old hoodie, the first thing she ever stole. They team up to take on terrors outside with the assistance of O'Reilly and a rifle. Connors corners O'Reilly, where she gets hit from a blast from the Roxon valve, and Connors knocks her into the water. Auntie prays in French as Tandy and Tyrone reach the Roxon facility and realize he's marked on his shoulder. Connors comes up behind him, but they easily take him down before Tyrone takes him up to the roof and swallows him in darkness. 
As the valves shake the city, Tyrone is prepared to sacrifice himself and teleports into the core. Tandy slices her way in, and they figure out the way to sail away is to touch hands. They end up on the roof of the Superdome. News reports detail their inexplicable acts that save the city. Water delivery lady finds a catatonic Scarborough in the Roxxon elevator. Tyrone's parents deal with the cops with the assistance of Father Delgado when his mother hears something in his room and she passes the picture he's removed. Tandy returns home to her mother with a headline on a newspaper exposing Roxanne's responsibility. Tyrone takes up residence in the abandoned church when Tandy brings him a care package. And our tag scene, Matt, features O'Reilly emerging from the swamp and killing a bee. Her eyes glow yellow and she moves with unnatural speed. Pete, it's almost like mayhem is coming to season two. But Pete, let's focus on this season, this season finale. Let's talk dark figures. Where would you like to start? Let's start, Matt, with Water Delivery Lady. Uh, Water Delivery Lady is, I think, a great starting point for a variety of reasons, including this is an episode that, as I think could be expected, picks up, of course, threads laid down prior in the season. But I think that this season finale does a particularly good job at tying together a bunch of those threads or or at the very least bringing them to dramatic climax. We see that with Water Bottle Lady, abbreviated in my notes as WBL. And uh, there's a certain... I don't know there's a certain urgency and uh, and I don't know lack of familiarity with her once she starts to have trouble doing her job, the job of death, <laughs> and picking up her corporate bosses out of elevators in a catatonic state. Um, she's an underling. She's clearly muscle. That's what she exists for. Um, if there's a point of disappointment for me in this season of uh, Cloak and Dagger, it's been on the villainous side. But that's okay. I don't think this is a story that needed to be driven by super strong villains like Wilson Fisk in Daredevil or Kilgrave in Jessica Jones or like we just got finished with Mariah and Bushmaster in Luke Cage. Um, we don't have that here. I mean, we don't even have the parents from Runaways, Matt, the first episode of which uh, screened on Freeform after this season finale to give the, uh, the over-the-air people a chance to see a great, great Marvel Cinematic Universe TV show they might not have sprung for via Hulu. Um, so that's all right, though, because I don't think the story is as dependent, at least not yet, on villains. But I hear mayhem is coming in season two. Is mayhem coming, Pete? I wasn't quite clear on some of the uh, some of the programming stuff coming out of uh, San Diego Comic-Con in which they said mayhem is coming. Spring 2019. Let's move on, Matt, to the terrors. Villains or plot contrivance uh well i suppose everything is a plot contrivance in fiction um i certainly was surprised by the veracity with which 
they were attacking with which they were kind of mowed down you know we have a scene uh where uh where i believe it's tyrone who's on the run it's either tyrone or tandy but we have uh we have o'reilly with her sniper rifle taking them out you know that was the both of them there yeah and uh gunning them down i think what's completely ambiguous at this point and we'll discuss more in our light theories segment is once affected by the fear by the terror is this irreversible hence murder um i let me put it this way pete i really really enjoyed this episode uh, i think at the 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 climax of it it was the most emotionally engaged I have been all season. That's not to say that the rest has not worked for me, but I was just, I was in with my heart and soul, you know, when they were, when they were using their powers together and whatnot. So this was a really, really solid episode. Can I imagine O'Reilly in her waning scenes as O'Reilly, you know, now that mayhem has occurred and all that, can I really imagine her mowing down people that, once they reverse the water flow or once they do science fix and spray it on the affected people that they're okay. Oh, except for George. Cause George got his head blown off by O'Reilly. <laughs> I don't think that's what the story will want us to conclude. Even if mayhem is coming and she's the worst villain that we've ever seen and just so terrible. Um, so I think they've committed to it being this permanent thing. Also, I got a sense out of the San Diego Comic-Con panel of, like, city in peril next season. I didn't quite fully get that as a long-term thing from this episode. That is, unless, of course, the terrors remain terrorific. It just feels to me like it's this second-rate zombie thing that didn't quite come across on screen. And then the nebulous nature of, well, they've been infected by fear and they're infected by fear. Like we literally have to discuss the fate of a recurring character, even though we're told about the fate. So yeah, I I just wish it was defined a little bit more. It's funny for a season that lasted ten episodes, it almost feels like this was less than ten episodes. In a good way or in a bad way? In a in a light on the story side way. Well, Pete, surely you're not suggesting that there's been a season of Marvel TV at thirteen episodes or less where. It feels like they took their darn tootin' time to get to a point where you go, and thus the heroes are born. Because I think that's what kind of happened a little bit. I did not, I did not dislike this season, but it kind of was like when you get to that climax in the Superdome, and it's like, or not in the Superdome, in the in the 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 substation that then you know it, it resolves at the top of the Superdome. It's like, yes, cloak and dagger, comic book heroes. And it's the end of the episode, and it took them this whole time to get to, like, comic book heroes. Okay, that's a choice. It's funny. I got more out of the non-comic booky stuff in this season than I did out of that. Um, But we're going to talk 
our overall impressions of season one uh, a little later next week. Let's talk back continuing here with Scarborough. Um, it's funny, Pete. I feel like he never, he's been in enough episodes as the big corporate bad. We've talked before about how rocks on golf as a proxy for, you know, irresponsible faceless corporate entities, particularly those that, you know, wreak havoc on the environment and how it ties back to the Gulf oil spill in our universe, Pete. Um, it should all be so effective. And I kind of felt like, Hey, there's evil Scarborough. Uh, I will say this though, excellent line, perhaps, um, understated, but that's not a criticism. Beautiful in its understatement. Uh, and with great power comes even more power, you know, a twist on the Spider-Man line. No, no sense of responsibility here. Just if you get power, you get to get more power that's a corporate leader that I can get behind hating. Yeah. And that he rationalizes what he's doing to keep up with the other billionaires in the world. One, a tech genius, the other, the face of white privilege. Um, I think the face of white privilege, the, the face of the face of, uh, kind of just corporate, that kind of corporate glad-handing circle where, hey, as long as profits are up and the stock is good, it's it's okay, right? You know, Enron, it's the smartest people in the room until you're not. And, hey, you know, all the way up and down with any of these corporate things or corporate leaders or leaders who come from the corporate world, etc. Um, he's a good enough big bad. And he, as you said, we'll discuss the season as a whole next week. But... Was he was he an earth-shaking good-bad, considering that we are kind of predisposed, regardless of your business views or your political views or whatever, we're kind of predisposed to not like the big company that doesn't care about customers and people in general. I don't know that he quite lived up to all of that. He didn't. I found his presence a little sparse. Um, I mean, what did we see him max in three or four episodes? Um, if we're going to talk a big bad for the season, and obviously it's somebody who spans just as long in the story uh, in terms of real time, but seems to have a greater impact in terms of fingerprints, that's Connor's. I really, really enjoyed the performance of J.D. Evermore, who plays Connors, because I feel like Connors has had a complete arc, though he has not obviously been the focus of this season. Uh, you know, certainly in terms of like he's not cloak or dagger. He's not mom or other mom or dad or other dad, etc. But our understanding of this incredibly awful character I feel like that has been a journey in and of itself where there's a fully formed freedom for we, the audience to hate Connors. That's a credit to the actor. That's a credit to the writing. He, he is among the worst things that you can imagine for a police officer. And he is that way in, in vivid technicolor and in 3d. And he is as fully formed a real character as our two leads or, you know, or, or whatever else. Well, Matt, I believe mayhem is coming. 
you know, Pete, they may have given us that impression. Um, I ha- I'll say this, Pete. I watched this. Uh, I watched this episode after it aired, and uh, to see you know some buzz online. Stay to the end. Stay to the end. First of all, of course, you stay to the end. Um, I I appreciate not being super familiar with the character of Mayhem. I appreciate so much that they gave us a really interesting Bridget O'Reilly this season and somebody who I think by and large, we are very sympathetic to. Uh, I can't think of anything that she's done. I mean, you know, occasionally she's worked outside the law, but it's in order to preserve the law with a capital L and preserve justice with a capital J, not kind of police justice of you're not booked in. So we're going to have you shoot you. At least that's the story we're going to tell. Then I'll shoot you and we're all problem solved to be setting up though, this season two villain the entire time and to to be having fun saying pete uh she she mentioned new york uh she mentioned you know uh luke cage characters and even connor said it's mayhem o'reilly it's like he was watching the superimposed promos for season two um i i i pete that's how villainous connor's is he's read ahead Hashtag spoiler Connors. Hmm? Well, time will tell, Matt, given that they move the setting of Cloak and Dagger from New York in the comics to Nolans on the TV, whether they're going to pursue the mayhem that is seen in the comics or whether this is going to be its own thing. I would welcome it either way. Uh, if Marvel in general, you know, again, keeping in mind there's the split between the film side and the TV side, but I think one, one real hallmark of Marvel live action has been the ability to take the comic source material and know when to go with it and know when to make a little nod to it and to know when to go completely against it. Um, I suspect that's what they'll do here, uh, not just for, you know, for uh, budget reasons and things of that sort. If you want to reimagine her green venomous gas and, and things like that to be something more subtle or something more contemporary or whatever it might be. These are all story options and uh, time will tell. You know, we'll find out what next spring, right? Mm hmm. Well, Pete, from next season's darkest figure, let's now move to some light theories for this episode. Is Mina really gone? Just because Tandy says she is. Matt, she got turned into a terror and she was tased. Well, first of all, had she said the magic words, don't tase me, bro, this might have been a very different episode. Uh, But more seriously, I... the only clue I can take is the fact that um, at San Diego Comic-Con, they had uh, not just Olivia Holt and Aubrey Joseph, uh, but also Emma Lahana and Ali Mackie. Um, could that be just, hey, we want to present a young contemporary, you know, fresh face here. We want to have more than just the two main leads. Uh, we don't want to bring, you know, Gloria Rubin and Andrea Roth all the way to San Diego just to to say a few words. That all could be true. Um, but if you're going to have Ali Mackey kind of front and center 
with some of your promotional stuff. Man, let's bring her back, not just for the sake of diversity. She's an interesting character. She's a solid actress. So I'm going to vote on the side of she'll be back and she'll be back in, uh, in, in you know, kind of more stable form. They have shut down the pressure building on the rig, obviously, um, in the in the core here. But you need somebody to science this. And Mina and even Ivan would make a lot of sense in season two to kind of fill in some of those gaps. So let's hope that's the case. How about Connors, Matt? What exactly happened to him? Well, I certainly have enough sense from the comics about, you know, about uh, Cloak's powers and the negative dimension and negative zone and things of that sort. I think that this gives the show the opportunity to simply cut out the the role of Connors. Now, next season, could you make hay with the fact that he's missing and he was the lead on the case going after the killer of poor Fuchs? Uh, that's right, you know, Tyrone and all of that, you know, they, they could go in that direction. Um, my instinct would be that's not where they're going to go, particularly if there is this uh, city in peril kind of thing and Tyrone is already on the run. It's not like it's going to be, you know, now we call Tyrone Johnson to the stand and, you know, anything quite like that. So he just might be gone for good and done so with that comic book flourish where and the character has disappeared and we kind of don't need to revisit it greatly because comic magic if he surfaces matt will it be with tales of uh general zod (laughs) maybe he'll be like we were in this uh this uh flexible piece of glass turning spinning through space there was in a, like in a different comic universe i just want to make it clear to people i know that superman is not in the marvel cinematic universe though i made a reference to general zod <laughs> um yeah it's like the secret history it, it, pete in 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 the negative zone that's where the mcu the phantom zone the yeah in the phantom zone that's where the mcu and the uh what's it called now the formerly named dceu has just fantastic name i I don't remember it gigantic joke the um the failed experiment (laughs) um interestingly wikipedia has not updated their article with uh whatever that thing is called now the many world wonderful world wizard wizarding worlds of dc something or other worlds of dc worlds of dc um there's got to be side note pete there's got to be some warner brothers person who's heartless and doesn't understand creativity. That's like DC over there, Harry Potter over here. Come on. Where's the crossover? Um, (laughs) but I digress. Gal Gadot can ride a, can ride a broom. Um, but anyhow, Pete, back to the MCU, back to Nolan's, uh, back to RIP Connors. If there was a season long villain, it was him. and, And I think, uh, I think we won't see any more of him, though, as we move to the next season. It seems an awful lot to me that winding up on the ceiling, the the top of the Superdome, Matt, was a statement. I mean, my goodness, you think about the role that the Superdome uh, played with, uh, you know, the onslaught of Hurricane Katrina and how long people were there and then 
you know, the, the role that it played reverting back to a mere football stadium, but as a symbol of recovery and all of that. Um, I mean, I agree with you of all places for them to go to be safe, having gone through a trial and then still come out the other side. Okay. I guess it would be the Superdome. I don't know if I've told this on our podcast before, but I was on a cruise ship that went out and around Hurricane Katrina before it made landfall to Florida and then gained strength in the Gulf and hit New Orleans in 2005. I cannot imagine what that storm was like when it hit. All I know is we were in 25 to 35 foot seas for a period of about 12 hours to the point where the butler came in the room the next morning and wanted to know if we were okay. And we were like, yeah, you know, made it through the night, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't go anywhere because there's vomit all over this place. <laughs> I, I don't mean to, I, you know, I laugh so that I do not cry that kind of thing. I mean, and that I, was a strengthening storm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly everyone listening knows about the the, the onslaught that New Orleans uh, suffered, and it's interesting in this episode to see the sufferings of the city kind of retold by by Auntie in a um, you know kind of through a faux historical lens, uh, whether it's the Choctaw, whether it's the Wilson brothers duel, and, and these efforts to save the city. I think Pete, it probably Here's going to be my suspicion. Somebody, this script was written with reference to Hurricane Katrina. That would be my bet that uh, when Joe Pakowski himself wrote this episode, it probably was this progression, the Choctaw and so on and so forth. We probably had Katrina in there. And then either in the script revision or in, or in the editing of the episode, I suspect that got cut just because... A, the city was, I mean, how saved was the city? I mean, the city still survives, but it certainly was not, it didn't fit into the narrative here of the two people giving everything, one of which gives everything in order for there to be a clear save. But I, I, I felt like that's where they were headed in, in Auntie's Tales. How about Scarborough here, Matt, winds up seemingly catatonic. Is this justice? Has he rightfully swap places with Ivan or is he just sidelined for the time being? I think we are certainly meant to think that he has swapped places with Ivan uh, and that that condition in which he left Ivan, perhaps not as uh, not as uh, directly as uh, as Tandy left him, but that condition to which Ivan was uh, was relegated. Now it's happened to the boss man. Uh, justice, I would argue, has been achieved. Um, do we get him back? I mean, you think of the you think of the story efforts it took to bring Ivan back. You know, this kind of like he still is in there, and then now it's you know, with all due respect to kind of the comic genre, but it's kind of like comic mumbo jumbo, where in his mind with the powers and lead him out. Do I see Tandy doing that anytime soon? No. Um, I'm going to vote Pete that this is in the, in the vein of the removal of Connors from the story. We're clear in the deck for season two and new baddies mayhem is coming and other challenges. Uh, and we're not going to have these characters hanging around to, to revisit. 
Tyrone winding up in the abandoned church at the end, having been told by, by his father to go on the run, his parents still, you know, warding off the police, Father Delgado, uh, you know, holding vigil in his home sets up an interesting dynamic, really kind of a complete shift for the two titular characters. First of all, I'm glad that Tyrone didn't become a runaway, despite the fact that people were saying uh, they're putting the first episode of Runaways on after it. That's because in the season one finale of Cloak and Dagger, major crossover. Who will appear? Will Old Lace help battle Roxxon? <laughs> no, I think it was just a cool like marketing hey, move. We have this spot, and here's a really great show you may not have seen. Um, yeah, and it's kind of win-win, particularly if you're like, <laughs> we're, we've done this scheduling totally irrespective of who our new uh, corporate owners will be for Hulu. Uh, please don't fire us with any of those vastly more talented people from FX. Oh my. Uh, look, Synergy! Yay! Up Hulu subscriptions! Um, I think that... It, th Pete, we have uh, Scarborough as a corporate villain. If you were hoping for the Runaways to show up in this episode, or Tyrone to be like, I'll be back, but I'm headed to Los Angeles. No, that's not the level of corporate synergy happening here. Sorry. Given the commitment, Matt, mayhem is coming. Is O'Reilly salvageable? Um, I think only in that kind of like, um, you know, like Green Goblin as the as the glider flies towards him kind of redemption like i could see pete it's episode 210 and o'reilly or should i say mayhem has laid should i say mayhem to the city and only at that last little bit there is the good in her and the the yellow leaves her eyes just long enough for her to say i did it to protect another city that i love and that's when the lightning strikes her and she goes having paid for her crimes so is she redeemed yes is she also a villain from all but the very end and then dies yes and scene well pete i certainly welcome this show returning asap as i know we discussed on prior episodes and as doubtless our listeners know the show will return in spring 2019 i have oh, to mayhem wonder is mayhem is coming pete it's funny, Pete, I was listening back to our Infinity War podcast, you know, it now three months ago, and something that you and I both said repeatedly was, at a certain point, these MCU TV shows are going to have to have some kind of connection uh, or some kind of reckoning or some, you know, make it clear that this is before Infinity War or after. Uh, I do have to wonder if the, you know, here we have kind of a hurry up offense for cloak and dagger returning well before or at least before uh avengers 4 we have agents of shield being scheduled well after it you know do we take any tea leaves from that do you think that whatever happens in avengers 4 this show gets clear of because it's happening after it or 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 what i'm not truthfully very sure that they will even address it on the TV shows. Um, 
let's assume the daredevil was completed with that work having been done prior to the reveal of what happened in avengers infinity war they finish up uh i would assume punisher at a similar stage as well we're going to get uh daredevil this year that much is certain uh in 2018 we get punisher early 2019 we get captain marvel we get avengers infinity war i think at this point it might almost be treated like a bad dream or they commit to doing to it i don't think their hands are tied to having to do it that being said i'm really hoping it gets addressed at some point i think it will have to be and look, I mean, we've seen the evolution of Jeff Loeb being, in my mind, the father of hashtag it's all connected. And perhaps there were people before him. But I mean, he's the one in our experience or certainly in my experience that has that was the one out there really pushing it and being like, man, the things that happened in the movies impact all our TV shows, which include Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and other things in development to go from that to. You guys always say it's all connected and you make fun, you know, and kind of like, where'd you get that from? I think on the one hand, look, if, if Jeff Loeb or somebody else tells me, um, tells us, Pete, that all the audience out there says, you know, a lot of these story elements we did not know, ahead, know of ahead of time, we're focusing on our own characters we're focusing on, on our internal stories there's a reason why we put cloak and dagger in new orleans and that was to really evoke that city and it's uh you know what it has to say about uh resilience what it has to say about race what it has to say about uh overcoming adversity and things of that sort and we're we're character first we're not taking meetings with the movie end so that we can kind of pick clean the bones there i accept all of that but yeah, it needs but... to be addressed at some point but two things there, okay? One, Clark Gregg shot a cameo for Daredevil that was never used because there was concern bleeding over ABC, Netflix, Daredevil, ABC Studios, hashtag it's all connected. We don't want to tie it back to uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too hard. Let's let it be its own thing. They didn't use it. Two, asked in front of us at New York Comic Con, uh, hey, when are the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. going to do something about what's going on here in New York? You know, the Netflix side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Jeff Lope says, this is two years ago, Matt. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, and I think, um, certainly we were all excited at the time. I think that he was... I think that he was Monday morning quarterbacking what he knew and we did not, which is our big connection is stuff like passing reference to no one's seen the green guy or things like, oh boy, Pete, you just dropped your pizza. That's a real Sokovia. You know, and <laughs> things like that as opposed and, and things like that. And I think that, look, we all know that there was this, big big split between the, the film end and the tv end when um when kevin feige rightfully so kind of stood up for the film end and went to disney and got his own you know, made the film end his own 
uh, I mean, not his own, but its own uh, division separate from everything else, Mar Marvel. Um, and the film end has been wildly successful and the TV end quite successful, but, but a different level of success, certainly. Um, I think now they say they play nice, but do I think Jeff Loeb has taken a meeting with people from Marvel films, you know, at any time in the last four years? No. I mean, he might've gotten memos. Most of the memos say big Avengers fight guardians appear question mark. That's Avengers three. Go make your TV shows. Well, again, Matt, we can hope at some point, my hope is that there can be really interesting stories on the TV side told as a result of those actions. We still have not hit the point in story space where they're addressing them. We haven't. And, you know, will we, I don't know. I mean, maybe the best clue we have is Jeff Loeb backing off of uh, hashtag it's all connected. I mean, I'm satisfied greatly by this season of Cloak and Dagger. I feel titillated that we got Misty Knight's friend and, you know, you're from New York. Naughty word, says Connors. You know, and those little things are enough for me. Um, and I'd rather spend more time in Cloak and Dagger focusing inward. I'm not saying it didn't do do enough. I'm just saying as a property, look inward to Cloak and Dagger and not, oh, man, how can we have a great tie-in with, you know, did you see the giant man in San Francisco? Like, it's cute, but if it doesn't feed the story, fine. It tremendously fed the story in Cloak and Dagger to have O'Reilly as the perpetual outsider, as somebody who just doesn't know the implicit way in which New Orleans PD MCU uh, works and to have her kind of not lose her perception as the better cop because she's former NYPD uh, and to keep that outsider status to her demise, that served the story. I didn't need, you know... And where is the where is the the Clint Barton? To think about the arc that her character has had, I mean, Matt, ten episodes ago we were talking about the silent detective, and now mayhem is coming. I think they did mention that mayhem is coming. That's a great reminder there, Pete. Uh, any final thoughts here, Pete, on this episode? Uh, reminder again to our listeners, we'll do a season wrap-up, uh, so we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on the season. We'll give contact info in a moment. But first, Pete, any final thoughts from you? I'm looking forward to them up in the ante, that they're being very public that mayhem is coming. I think that we have a greater trajectory for that season to almost like this is the story we wanted to tell, but had to tell this story first before we got to the story we really wanted to tell. Yeah. And I appreciate that we got to heroic heroes doing heroic things by the end of this episode. I'll mention too, Pete, uh, I regret that I am only mentioning this now, but I'm glad to have not forgotten it completely the the uh mardi gras cloak that tyrone was wearing the one made by his brother that is a great story origin for that particular piece of cloth but i kept saying to myself 
but it looks kind of goofy, you know, yeah. like something you'd wear for Mardi Gras. And I love the story flourish of that gets ripped away from him. And it's the hoodie. It's his brother's hoodie. It's everything, all the weight that, you know, we have as a young black man wearing a hoodie and all of that. All of that comes together to be his new cloak, not, you know, the shiny nanobot cloak or this special effects thing. It's his power. It still is inside him. The thing through which he's focusing his power mentally is this hoodie. That was a fantastic touch. Yeah, I think, Matt, we have our most symbolic Marvel TV show in Cloak and Dagger. This is a show that deals very, very heavily in symbols. And the hoodie, I mean, geez, is there an item of clothing as closely associated with tragedy in the last, I don't know, 50 years? Uh, I certainly can't think of one off the top of my head. I know that it works tremendously here and you know could you could you quibble as to the pace of how the story got to this episode uh, yeah and you know we'll discuss that more next week but this episode it all came together and it was really just a wonderful um it was a wonderful resolution of the first season it was like i said you know, the, the proof will be in the pudding with how far they can take things in that second season. Mayhem is a pretty out there comic character and the TV presentation is going to obviously demand some alteration. Well, Pete, as mentioned, we would love to hear from people uh their thoughts on the season as a whole on how the season finale worked on anticipation for the second season how can people be in touch with you you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, nine thousand nine hundred thirty four followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter as looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast. Leave a comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. As aforementioned a few times, we'll be back next week to talk season one as a whole. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final episode 110 word. I suggest you use those sensible shoes and get out of my mother's home. 